Hi, I'm Adrian Tan, and this is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR tech market map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping that sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. Hi, Chidong. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Adrian. Today, we want to really understand more about this initiative that you have been doing for the second run, if I'm not wrong, called the National Employee Experience Transformation Program. Could you share with us about this? Yeah, sure. So actually, we're quite excited about this because last year, literally one week after Prime Minister announced that Singapore was going into, at that time, our circuit breaker, we uh, spoke very quickly with the IHRP as well as SHRI. And together, we thought we would come up with a way for us to understand how to help businesses and HR leaders to support their people better la, through this pandemic, because it's a once-in-a-generation uh, kind of transformation to our workplace. And we went through with that last year, and that uh, actually turned out quite well. We had more than 20,000-plus uh, people respond, had provided more than insights to 100 over companies. And then this year, we felt that as we were coming up to the one-year anniversary of the circuit breaker, we thought, actually, over the past 12 months, we have seen quite a lot of change in our workplace, some of which will be enduring uh, and will continue after the pandemic. Others uh, will eventually revert to the norm pre-pandemic. So one of the things that we got excited about was, okay, how do we provide some kind of historical record of, of our workplace here in Singapore, and particularly how the employee experience is transforming, and be able to document that and, and provide good data to communicate about that. So the future generations of HR, when they look back uh, at this watershed period in our history, will be able to say, this is how the employee experience transformed. This was what's changed. This was how it changed. And so this is where we, we thought that it would be very useful to, to launch the next program, the National Employee Experience Transformation Program, to be able to help this national effort to document the changes that are happening in our workplace today. How is it affecting the lives in Singapore one year into the pandemic and hopefully also beyond? What are some major surprises that caught you? Good question. So actually, one of the things that really surprised me was that the levels of engagement and the levels of well-being have actually dropped compared to last year. And this is very counterintuitive, right? We thought that the, the degree to which we saw change happen last year, we would expect that, that our workplaces would be a lot more uh, a lot more disengaged and well-being suffer a lot more. But what we, we found was that actually well-being has gone down. In fact, it has gone down by uh, 14% in terms of employee net promoters. Engagement has gone down by 14%. Uh, by net promoter score since uh, 2020 and well-being has actually gone down by nine percent and these are all statistically significant numbers and one of the things that's really interesting is that the levels of burnout that people are reporting have increased uh, quite a bit as well as particularly within the millennial uh, generations so this was particularly unusual from what we are seeing and what i think is less surprising is that Engagement continues to be highly correlated with the degree to which 
managers, leaders in organizations show care to their people. So those all continue to remain quite high. And when we look at just the figures for work-life balance and so on, people are still working quite a significant number of hours. And in fact, many are reporting even working more hours than before. In terms of the trends that would surprise me, it's really uh, the engagement and well-being trends that, that came out. I have so many questions to ask, but maybe I can start off with the millennials part. It's quite surprising to realize that they are more burnt out than the earlier generation, because I would imagine in a much more digital-centric working environment, they will be much more accustomed to all the friction, all the challenges that may come with it. Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, so if we look at our data and we try to break it down a little bit more, we found that the degree to which they are able to respond to their workload, as well as the amount of burnout that they have, seems to be higher. And just anecdotally, when we think about for millennials, they tend to be uh, in the more junior ranks within organizations. And when an organization is going through significant changes, sometimes those in the junior ranks don't really get full visibility or visibility of the full picture. And as they say, sometimes in positions where you are rushing to wait and waiting to rush. Yeah, yeah. And and this is very much something that's possible that we are observing in the millennials where there are a lot of changes that are ongoing in organizations. Those baby boomers, the Gen Xers, they are closer to the decision-making center and are then therefore able to better digest the rationale and, and the reasons for the changes. But sometimes these aren't communicated well through the, the ranks, and this might cause the millennials to be more stressed out, uh, more burnt out, and actually even working longer hours uh, just to keep up with the changes. I remember when I was earlier in my career, one of my MD always used this analogy. Any changes from the senior management to the junior executive is like using a laser pointer. For the person holding a laser pointer, you may just be moving one cm left and right, but projected onto the screen is one meter left to right. Mm. So it's really quite a huge change for people who has to undertake all these kind of changes that they may not have a say in. So that's really interesting to learn. And I understand from the report, something which is truly significant is the worrying drop in the resilience of the organization. Why do you think resilience has dropped so drastically? When we looked at the, the drop, it is a 17 percentage point drop. And we we looked at basically this question, how confident people are in the future of their organization. And with this dropping 17%, it is a relatively significant shift. So one of the things that we believe has happened is there's a certain degree of climatization to the new normal where the leadership may forget that it's still necessary to continually communicate the plans over the next quarter, over the next few quarters, over the next year, and how they, what steps are being taken to keep the business uh, afloat or to chart the new directions of the future, or what kind of changes would the average Joe in a company expect right, as, as they're going through this pandemic. And I think as some of this uh, communication complacency sets in, we then see that as last year and and this year, we found that it has a very high correlation and particularly high impact on things like resilience. So when you start communicating less or less effectively, the impact on 
the organizational resilience, the impact on people's confidence in the future of the organization actually starts to drop and, and disproportionately so very much the, the guy holding the laser pointer and this guy is holding a laser pointer in the center of, of hurricane in today's world. But having said that, in your latest report, there are still significant challenges that people are facing with remote work. I would imagine after a year of trial and error, even if you're in the worst situation, you more or less would have adjust to a point where, okay, I've reached somewhere where I think I can make things work. Why do you think people are still facing all these new challenges? Mm, I, I don't think that these are new challenges per se. I think that they are continued challenges that, that are being faced. One thing that is a reality for all of us living in Singapore is just space at home. Uh, unless you happen to have a good class bungalow somewhere uh, to chill out. Most of us living with family and have to share the space with quite a number of other people. And sometimes we have spouses or, or others in the house also working from home. And, and this doesn't necessarily go away. We can find ways to mitigate it. Uh, but but essentially, there are things that degrade the experience uh, for each of us that are, are just not really uh, changeable. Like you have young children at home. I've got young children at home as well. Sometimes, especially recently, where they've had to go through home-based learning again, it's definitely been smoother, but it, it hasn't completely removed the, the challenges. And this is what we're seeing. The, the stresses with remote work tend to be uh, faced by those who have uh, dependence and how our caregivers themselves at home are still still adapting to that is, is difficult. And I, I can speak for myself that while over the past year, there's definitely been a lot of adaptation in my uh, home office in terms of upgrading, working from home, productivity equipment and so on, there still remain to be yeah, challenges faced. Lah can't go away entirely. Bringing up home-based learning really gave me the chills because uh, as much as I thought last month was supposed to be much easier, in a way, it was also pretty difficult because the teachers are much more comfortable with all this and they are giving a lot of notifications on my Parents <laughs> Gateway app. Yes. I probably get more notification from Parents Gateway than I get from Teams from my colleagues, which was pretty annoying. Given that I have three primary school going kids, it's multiplied by three. La, so that can be very yeah. painful. The one segment of your report, you also indicated that managers need to do more. What are some of the tangible stuff that managers today could actually do immediately to improve all this situation if you ask me just the one thing it would be to immediately go to your calendar and start blocking out one on one time with your staff and on a i'm not, I'm not talking about one-on-ones in terms of oh let's do this performance appraisal once every six months or once every year or let's do one-on-one so that i can scold this guy for work that he didn't do during this last project meeting these one-on-ones time that has been blocked out in a manager's calendar that is dedicated to their staff. So uh, this may be quite an alien concept uh, to a few managers, but uh, some organizations have already been implementing this to quite a high degree of success. When we looked at, so I'll give you an example of one of our clients, right? They, they started tracking the effectiveness of these one-on-ones because they've been trying to roll out one-on-one handbooks for, for their people for the longest time. And this is quite a large organization, a couple of thousand people, a few hundred managers. And we found with them that the one-on-one frequency actually was quite dramatically different to manager. And when we analyzed the results, there was an alarmingly high correlation between the frequency of one-on-ones and the degree of engagement 
within those teams. And in fact, we found that the degree of engagement actually increased the more frequent these one-on-ones were with the staff to the point where it was about one every once every two weeks. So once every two weeks seemed for this organization to be the optimal frequency for doing one-on-ones. And then we also helped them to analyze the, the content on what was discussed during these one-on-ones. So there are a lot of different types of content. There's a, the most regular one is performance one-on-one. Sometimes it's just chit-chat, heart-to-heart talk, that kind of thing. But we found that the one that the content that was reported to have the highest uh, levels of engagement was actually that that focused on that individual's development. So managers need to cater a set aside time to hold one-on-ones, to check in with their staff on a regular basis, maybe to immediately start off with once every two weeks from a frequency of never is too big a change, but at least once a month. And you can rotate those one-on-ones with uh, different content. So it's the well-being check-ins, which is something that I think all managers should do right now. There's also the career pathing and career development conversations which need to happen, I would say, at least once a quarter. And these are all different levers for... It's an important lever for managers uh, among what they need to do more of. So part of that includes also like just learning how to identify warning signs of uh, well-being issues while working in a hybrid manner or working remotely. Like How do you tell if somebody is feeling stressed out over Zoom, right? It's not not always easy. So managers need to be uh, equipped themselves with these skills. And also, I would say something that maybe the last point here is to to give recognition. uh, People are working hard and sometimes it's very unnatural for us Asians to to give praise uh, to to people doing hard work. I remember last time my commanding officer used to tell me, oh, Singaporeans cannot praise one. You praise already, they'll straight straight away karangkabo, right? They'll make a mistake after that. But I don't believe the research shows that to be the case. We need, we need managers to, who are attuned to good performance from their team and do not be shy to give them a pat on the back virtually when they see it. I have a couple of questions to really find out from you, but maybe I'll start with the first one. Uh, the praising portion is really interesting. Most recently, as I'm trying to improve my writing, I came across an article and it's really about how to notice things mm-hmm. so that you can write better. When we are all working in a remote environment, trying to notice what people are doing right and wrong can be very challenging. In addition to perhaps asking them during the one-on-one, are there any other ways that we can get all this to be surfaced to the manager so that they are aware of what's going on? Maybe biased, but I think one excellent way to do that is uh, using a tool like Engage Rocket where uh, you can actually run these in a set it and forget it manner. You just set it up at a frequency that you want. You have sent out short pulse surveys to your staff and then from there, each manager is has access to their own dashboard to track the well-being trends uh, in their team over time. And, and the moment you start seeing unusual patterns in the data, you give you an early warning already that, okay, this is maybe I should start checking in on my staff a little bit more or notice a little bit more over the Zoom calls. So, so that's one way to do it. Other ways to do it would be just communicating expectations clearly and on a highly frequent basis. So many teams have started implementing daily stand-ups where they meet for 15 minutes a day just to talk about what did they do yesterday, what are they doing today, uh, what are the obstacles that they, they face, and then how can others help them with these obstacles uh, or these blockers, uh, as they, they call them. And this, these check-ins are, are really useful, to for especially for the manager, to assess the mood and the morale uh, is in their team on a daily basis. I would always recommend for remote uh, work for these 
stand-ups, they should be done with the video on so that managers can promote that team bonding and interaction anyway. And then managers, of course, then have extra visual cues to help them in the assessment of the team's well-being. For some company that has never been doing this, uh, for them to jump from never to daily, weekly, that might be very painful. So they may want to just start with a wider frequency. But for companies that are already doing it, what do you think would be a best practice? So I would say that for the, the check-ins with the team, ideally, this should be, it should be daily if possible. Uh, you, even if it's a very short call. So I actually do have this with our team. Just thinking sometimes, oh, this is uh, oh, taking up a lot of time. Then we look at it, it's like actually only 15 minutes and most 30 minutes. It's not that much of our day. And at the same time, after a while, you get used to it and it feels weird when you don't see your, your colleagues anymore uh, on a day-to-day basis. So I would say that ideally it will be daily. And this is at a team level, right? If it's not daily, it should be some at least weekly, I would say. Anything less than that, you are responding too late to any changes and and if it's we- even if it's weekly you're only giving yourself one observation point across the whole week to assess how this guy is doing uh, over the course of that week and, and can be quite difficult to do in terms of the one on one on ones personally i've actually also favored this bi-weekly cadence actually this was even before the data came in and when i saw the data from this client i was quite shocked myself but in- independently it seems that we have reached uh, a similar conclusion about the optimal frequency of one-on-ones. And I find that my, for me personally, two weeks, uh, once every two weeks fits my schedule because it's very difficult to do this on a weekly basis, especially with uh, when you have a, quite a number of reports. But at the same time, often enough uh, for me to vary the agenda. So most of the time, I would say that the agenda is up to the staff. The, the session is really for them to talk about things that it's difficult to bring up and it can be awkward to bring up the set of Zoom calls. I need to, to ask about hey, that day my salary wasn't credited correctly or whatever. It's very awkward to set that up and especially Asians sometimes are a bit afraid to go to the boss with this kind of thing. So having these one-on-ones as protected time gives them that space to, to air these issues. And even if it's more uh, long-term, right? Or I've been thinking about my development, not sure what to do with it. There's these different roles in the company. I think I can contribute here that kind of things. So I, I, I do this personally on a once every two week basis and, and I do see this to be best practice at least in so far as the data supports that. And then the other thing that we've heard a lot from best practice managers is that they actually have they actually have different types of one-on-ones. So they have career one-on-ones where they speak specifically about a career development. They have performance one-on-ones where they then talk about performance with their staff. And it's very developmental in nature, right? Thinking about the what, what was done well, what was what could have been improved over the past time period, and then how what do we need to do next? But there's also a well-being one-on-one. So just checking in on how the staff are doing and having basically having a framework for all of this has been uh, ex- extremely helpful for me personally and I think has been also consistent with what we've observed as best practice in the market. As a manager who always strive for efficiency through batching, would it make sense to just batch everything together? So during mm. the one-to-one check-in on a bi-weekly basis, I would ask about career development, then I'll go on to wellness, then I'll go on to whatever mm. other things that may come up. W- would that make sense? I think it makes sense as long as as long as long your staff is comfortable having that many different conversations. In, in my experience, my one-on-ones are only 30 minutes each time, so we may not be able to cover that much ground. In terms of batching, I do batch them, and I batch them on Mondays and Fridays. 
So it's almost office hours, lah, right? Where during those times is dedicated to my stuff, and then that's the focus. But obviously, yeah, I'm, it, it, this is very personal for each individual, and and one of the critical things that managers can do in their first one-on-one with their staff is to ask, how often do you think you would want to talk to me? Because maybe for all the staff actually don't want to talk to you that often. I do understand there is also an aspect where you mentioned about digital transformation and of course how resilience will drive sustainable change. Another key thing that was indicated is of course with a huge percentage, in fact over 65%, the belief that digital and tech is a key skill in the future of work. But having said that, the adoption of digital solution was found to be negatively correlated with EMPS. I would be really interested mm. to find out more about this. How That doesn't seem to make sense what why do you think that is happening and in what context would this be arriving at yeah it's a really good point and and i think actually it's consistent with our own observation you, you've been in the the hr tech space as well and you've observed many of these botched implementations of technology sometimes we assume as leaders that digital transformation is just i need to spend x amount of dollars on new digital solutions and and then wave for magic wand and I've transformed, right? And my organization has transformed. But having been in this line for a while, and I think you've observed this as well, the act of digital transformation is actually maybe about 30% finding the right tools and 70% figuring out how to make people comfortable with those tools and to actually use them. So there's a huge implementation process that has to take place. And the, the issues that happen sometimes is that the, the users of the software are not even consulted on what kind of software or what their needs are, first and foremost, before some guy in headquarters or corporate HQ decides, okay, we need to have a digitalization project. It looks like this particular software, whether it's an applicant tracking system or whether it's an HRIS or whatever it is, we need to implement this. And then downstream, it is... After the purchase decision is made, IT implementation is done, so all the integrations and all the customizations are done. It's then forced down the throats uh, of the, the users. And of course, it's frustrating because if we uh, adopt a, a bit more of an agile approach or uh, adopt a, a design thinking approach, it starts with the end user in mind. And I, I think in many organizations, we're just not set up to to have that kind of structure where there are like the, the project manager for these implementations are, is more like a product manager and thinking of how this new digital product is going to actually solve pain points on the ground rather than just creating more work for everybody downstream. So I think until organizations can 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 work around this process, the, the best that we can do is maybe as uh, as solution providers to share some of our experiences around implementation and i'll be the first one to to share this uh, with your audience as well like it, the incentives are very much stacked against the tech providers sharing this because nobody wants to hear that implementing software is going to be it's not just pressing a button you, you actually need to talk to people you need to understand what they do on a day-to-day basis there's a lot more involved in in it than just buying a piece of software and, and switching it on. Yeah, so you, you probably wouldn't hear this from many tech providers. And then that being said, like the, the messaging is instead, oh, it's very easy. It's just buy and install and you're good to go. In some cases, that's true. But in many cases, that is not. And I think that's where the desync is and that's where the, the frustration uh, along the line can happen. 
And I think if people need more convincing, they just have to look inwards and look at the white elephants that are hiding somewhere in their companies. I'm sure every company has some of these white elephants. But having said that, I think it's really interesting to learn about the new findings that you're getting from this revision uh, and this update to what you're trying to provide across to the audience. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. For people who's interested to learn more to read the entire report or just to find out more about Engage Rocket where can they go to? Uh, the easiest place to go is just to engagerocket.co uh, or if you just google Engage Rocket uh, all one word E-N-G-E-R-O-C-K-E-T uh, you'll be able to find that it's on our uh, homepage you'll be able to navigate to down- download the report from there as well Awesome, great all this will be placed into the show notes uh, Chitong, thank you for coming on to the show Thanks very much for having me Adrian Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.